This breakout is your future self-will. Thank you. Gospel power for breaking bad habits and making new ones. I'm really thankful that you've entrusted part of your morning to me and this teaching. So I'm going to be honest with you as we begin. When I became a Christian uh, 42 years ago, uh, during my freshman year at Lafayette, I wish that I had attended a breakout like this before I graduated. Because some of, some of the things I'll be sharing with you this morning during our session together would honestly have spared me a lot of pain and heartache if someone had shared them with me when I was your age. Just so you know. So looking back, I, I, I wish someone older and wiser would have had the insight or the courage, or maybe I would have had the ears to hear this. Hey, Mark, the way that you're living now is actually setting the pattern for the way that you're going to live later. Do you realize that? Do, do you want that to be true, Mark? Do you want your life now to be a mirror of your life later? Mark, you need to begin to live now in light of how you want to live then, because your future self will thank you. I wish someone had the courage and wisdom to say that to me. So I don't want any of you to have to say that. So that's why you're here. That's why you're here this morning. It's a very simple, it's a very clarifying truth. What you do today impacts and sets the direction for what you are going to do tomorrow. That's right. Whether you believe it or not, right now you are setting the direction and establishing the patterns for your future life. And listen, friends, just before I pray and we get into it, I just want to be honest. Living now as you want to live then is very, very hard in your season of life. Because I don't know if you're the same, this is what I thought when I was your age. I thought, I got all the time in the world. Uh, It's college. It's not the real world yet. I'll get to that kind of stuff when I graduate. Or I often thought, I'll think about real life once I get to real life. And the reality of the matter is, friends, this is real life life. And so the way that you're starting to live now is setting the patterns for the way you're going to live later. Looking back, I wish I had had the tools and the vision to go after bad patterns in my life that sadly brought a lot of misery into my early years of marriage and parenting and even ministry. Patterns of anger, where I would stuff it and then finally explode on people. Patterns of struggling to spend time alone in God's word. That pattern continues even to this day. Patterns of going to food and books when I feel lonely or forgotten. So so this morning, I want to give you two things. I want to give you a, a vision And I also want to give you some practical direction. I want this to be very hands-on. My goal, as you can probably figure out, is not immediate change. That's not the premise of our time together. That's not the promise of our breakout. The the main work or fruit of this breakout will happen depending on what you do with it once you leave. But my goal is this, very simply, that maybe years from now, 
you will look back and think, that room, that hot little room at fall conference was where a lot of good things in my life just began to take hold and take shape. That's my hope. So bottom line, I want to give you the vision and the tools to start to live now and start to develop patterns now such that your future self will thank you. Let me pray. God, we're very grateful for our time together. Thank you, Father, that you have not only entrusted this moment to us, but in many ways you've entrusted the future to us right now. We understand that the way we live now is forming patterns, that it's forming directions for the future. God, our desire is to love and to honor you in every moment that you give us. So help us, even during this time, to gain a vision and to gain some tools so that our future self will thank us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at your outline. We're just going to go through it. I have a lot for you on pages 24 and 25, so we're, we're going to move quickly. So before we talk about the solution, if you notice right there on your outline, we need to talk about our condition. That, that's the first point there, our condition. And listen, friends, all of us in this room have a similar pattern. We all struggle with over-promising things and under-delivering on things. Or am I the only one? We all struggle with that. We do that to ourselves, we do that to other people, and we do it to the Lord. You and I make resolutions or promises every year, and in the span of just a few days, we break them, or we ignore them, or we conveniently forget about them. So how many of us, we promise to stop doing that, or start doing that, and we really, really mean it, like we're serious, but then just days And for some of us, only hours later, it just sort of disappears. And we wonder, what just happened? For some of us, it's big things, like maybe sexual sin, pornography. For some of us, it's it's little things, like simply getting up on time. For others, it's, it's what I call spiritual things, like reading your Bible or praying or getting up and going to church on Sunday. For some of us, it's character things, like not giving in to worry or anxiety. That's why there are these few verses from the book of Romans that I really identify with. I think you do as well. Let me read you what Paul said in Romans 7 about his struggle with sin. He said this. You don't have it. Here it is. He says, I want to do right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Then he writes this, wretched man that I am. Anyone agree with that? That's why I think the reality of our lives is captured by the quote I have for you there by Tim Keller. He's he's a a well-known pastor. He, He wrote this, your future self will always see your present self as unwise and immature. That means you are currently a fool right now. Thank you, Dr. Keller. Okay. And what Keller means simply is this, that the patterns that many of us have in our lives right now are not 
actually the ones that we want in the future. So think about perhaps some of your patterns. Maybe your pattern is, is just sleeping in and regularly being late to things. Maybe you're a procrastinator and you just regularly waste time. Maybe you have a pattern of avoiding hard things until the last possible moment. Maybe your pattern is you just, you just don't pray. You know you should, but you just don't. Maybe your pattern is you regularly skip church or Bible study regularly. Maybe your pattern is you, you give in to fear of other people or new situations. You back away from anything that smells like a risk. Maybe your pattern is you never actually speak to anyone else about Jesus. You know you should, and you make promises that you will, but you never have. Maybe your, your pattern is you, you overeat or you undereat. Maybe you overexercise or you underexercise. Maybe your pattern is you spend much too much time on social media and computer games. Maybe you explode with anger or you withdraw in silence. Maybe you find your joy and hope in physical intimacy. As soon as one relationship ends, you're like, I'm not going to do that again. And then you do it again. So in light of all of this, the Bible is really clear. It's that your current season of life is, pre is preparing you for the next season. And the key, here's the key to your future self, is to learn from your present life. You've got to be a learner right now. You've got to look your reality straight in the eyes and go, oh, I see you for what you really are. Look with me at, uh, I have some Proverbs there under the additional resources. See it on 25? Look at the Proverbs, how they flesh this out. What Solomon wrote, my son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your, sorry, make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Then pop down to Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Do you see all of those? Like at this moment, the goal is, God, help me to have wisdom about who I am so that I can live differently in the future. But here's our dilemma. Our dilemma is this. Because of sin, you and I are inclined toward foolishness. We're inclined toward it. We all, myself included, we struggle to learn from our mistakes. All of us tend to excuse our patterns. All of us think that the bad patterns in our life are not really that bad, right? And well, what does it really matter anyway? They'll probably just disappear or change into good things over time. That's how most of us think. And friends, what a dilemma that we're in. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, wretched man that I am. 
But God in his mercy has not left us without a solution to our condition. And that's where we'll spend the rest of our time. God's solution. God's solution. And I want to affirm to you this morning that if you are a Christian here, if you're resting on Christ for your salvation, you actually have a power in you that can not only defeat your bad patterns, but can actually transform you to be more and more like Jesus Christ. You have that in you. You, by the grace of God and the gospel of Christ, have the ability to put off ungodly patterns and to put on godly ones. How do I know that? Very simply. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That same spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you right now. And that spirit is at work right in you now, producing fruit, which is why, look at the key text at the top of our outline from Galatians chapter 5. Do you see it there on page 24? Look what Paul writes. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, God's gift to you and the key to resolving this dilemma that sin has introduced into your life is self-control. That's why we're going to talk about it right there in your outline, the gift of self-control. So notice two things from Galatians 5, right there, that Galatians 5 passage. I want you to notice the presence of of self-control, and I want you to notice the position of it. So the presence and the position. Let me say a word about each. First, I want you to notice its presence. Notice that self-control is on the list. Did you notice that? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Now, this may be surprising to many of us because our culture does not value self-control. It values self-expression. But the Bible says that self-control is an outflow of the work of God's Spirit in your life. That's why I just want us to look for a moment at that very shocking proverb that's right on your outline. Do you see it there? Proverbs 16.32. Listen to this. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. (laughs) Is that crazy? Think about that. That's an astounding statement. So this was written in a culture where conquering a city was a height of victory. And the wisest man in the world says there's actually something that is of greater value than conquering a city. And that thing is self-control. And he says, too, in a culture in which the the powerful are are celebrated and, and awarded, Proverbs says there's even one thing that's better than power. It's patience, which is another way of saying self control. So, first, notice the presence of self control in that understanding of the fruit of the Spirit. Second, I want you to notice its placement right there in Galatians 5 22 and 23. Its placement. In other words, it's at the end of the list, not because it is least important. 
It is there because it is the key to all the other fruit of the Spirit. Now for that, if you would just look at this, um, see that first quote? See it says quotes? Let me read you the first one. It says this, self-control isn't just one good character trait, a nice addition to the list of virtues that flow from the Spirit. It's foundational, not because it's more important than the other virtues, but because the others rely on it. Think about it. Can you be faithful to your spouse without self-control? Can you be generous without self-control? Peaceable, selfless, honest, kind? No. Even the most basic altruism requires suspending your own interest to think of others, and that can't happen without self-control. Self-control is key. Okay, so if it's key, let, let's, let's talk about it. Notice on your outline, first question, what, what is it? What is it? And I have there a definition for you. Self-control, the ability to resist doing something you shouldn't do but want to, as well as the ability to do something you should do but don't want to. Pretty simple. That is self-control. And friends, this concept of self-control is so important in the Bible that the Bible uses four, count them four, different words in the original language of Greek to describe it. I have it there on your outline. The first word that it uses is sober-minded. So sober-minded is having the wisdom to spot and avoid sin. It's most often used in terms of false teaching. Understanding what false teaching is. It's the opposite of what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 about having itching ears, just wanting to hear everything. So self-control is being sober-minded, like your mind formed by the Word of God is governing what you approve and what you disapprove. There's another word that's right there, bridle, bridle, or another word is restrain. That's used twice in James' letter. I have the references there. But it's most often used in connection with our speech or our tongue. So to have self-control with our tongue means we know when to speak and when to... Right? So when to be quiet. Third word is sensible. Sensible. This sort of means someone who's balanced and mature, someone who's not prone to erratic or impulsive behavior. I have a couple of references there from Timothy and Titus. It's actually a qualification for leaders in the church. They've got to be sensible. And the last one is simply self-control. Literally, in the original language, it means dominion within. In other words, not being mastered by our internal passions or outside forces, but being self-controlled so that we know what the Word of God is and we go after that. And I have a couple of references there for you. Friends, self-control is what I exercised this morning when I was on the breakfast line and I saw that huge vat of bacon and sausage. My flesh was going, more, buddy, more. (laughs) My conscience was going, don't you dare. Don't do it. Self-control. Self-control is the gift that God has given to all of us. For me, it happened just the other day. I was at the gym, 
I was watching a show on Amazon Prime that I thought was safe, and it wasn't. No one else at the gym knows me. I have my buds on and everything. But self-control, God gets the credit, enabled me to go, that ain't worth it. I don't care what the rest of the series is about. It is not worth it. That's self-control. That's what it is. Let's dig a little bit deeper. I have on your, your outline an interesting question. What's a temporary substitute for it? Well, simply put, a temporary substitute is you can write down willpower. Willpower. Right? The power of the will. We all know what willpower is. Willpower, okay? When you really don't want to get up, but your phone is buzzing, and your class is soon going to be starting, and you drag yourself out of bed. Oh, willpower. Willpower is when you don't want to eat breakfast, but you know by 10 o'clock you're just going to trail off. And you just like, okay, I gotta eat something. I gotta eat something. That's willpower. Willpower, I hope this is true in your life. It's true in my mind, my life. Willpower is always accompanied by the sound, uh, <laughs> or a deep sigh, or just that phrase, oh, all right already, all right already. That's willpower. I want you to look at a, another quote. Let's look at that, that last quote there. It's right on the one we just read. It's from Monica Kim. Willpower is the emotional energy needed to withstand temptation. From a strictly human perspective, it's what enables self-control. It's the fuel. Willpower is required for a range of activities, from resisting temptation to learning new tasks and making decisions. Here's the key thing I want you to notice here about that quote. Willpower is limited, and we usually don't have enough. Can I give you an example? Oh, God. Dot's pretzels. I was introduced. I saw I love pretzels, and an older gentleman in my church says, you like pretzels. I'm like, I like pretzels. He's like, I got something for you. (laughs) So it says, come out to the car. I'm like, it's like a drug deal. But he (laughs) gave me these. These are Dot's pretzels. They're made in North Dakota from a secret. You, you, You know. Okay, okay, don't say anything. Okay. So he said, you won't be able to eat just one. I'm like, buddy, I'm giving a talk on self-control. We got this. I couldn't eat just one. (laughs) But this is what happens. So instead of our our TV room or whatever, I remember for lunch, I brought these out. I had a sandwich, and I brought out the bag, and I just put a couple of the the pretzels on my plate. I'm like, I'm just going to eat what's on my plate. Just going to eat what's on. I'm not going to eat what's in the rest of the bag. So I ate what's on my plate, and for about four minutes, I exercised willpower. (laughs) And after four minutes, this thing would not shut up talking to me. (laughs) So Shannon got home a little bit later, and I kid you not, my hand was in the bag. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, seeing how many are left. (laughs) And there ain't many at this point. Do you know what I mean about willpower? Willpower is when you set up your world to avoid something, but you're relying on the energy or the fuel of the moment, and you just don't have that much in your tank. Which is why, for many of us, we rely on willpower to get us through the day, but we don't have that much willpower. Which is why we'll set up things in our life. So how many of you said, I'm going to get up an hour early to study the scripture, right? How many days do you do it? 
maybe one, maybe two, but by the third day, you're like, oh, I can't. why? You don't have any willpower left in that area. There's no willpower. There's nothing left in the tank. Willpower is like a shot of adrenaline to get you through the moment, but most of us use it to fuel long-term change, and it can't do it. It cannot do it. Willpower is a tremendous gift, but it is a limited resource. Self-control in the long term has got to be fueled by something other than willpower. And before we turn to what that something else is, I just want to answer one more absolutely essential question. It's right on your sheet there. What is the goal? In other words, what's the goal of self-control? Where are we heading with this? I tell you what, there is something that is even scarier than someone not having self-control, and that is someone having self-control for all the wrong reasons. So when I was a student, I, uh, my goal was to go into law, and for two summers, I interned at a law firm near my house. Let me tell you, the people in that firm were known for self-control. Talk about a highly disciplined life. But do you know what the fruit of all their self-control and discipline was? Every single one of the partners was divorced. They were all addicted to work, and they had an insatiable desire for more money. So self-control in and of itself isn't good unless it's directed toward a godly end. So as Christians, the goal of self-control and the temporary exercise of willpower is really clear. It's captured what, what Jesus said right on your sheet in Matthew 22. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Many of you are familiar with that. What do we learn from it? Really quickly, being self-controlled means, as a Christian, having a love for God as the primary reason we do or don't do things. Not a love for our future self, but a love for God and a desire to know Him. Being self-controlled means suspending our self-interest enough to love others. Self-control does not mean getting what I want out of life so that my life is better. That's pagan. Self-control means loving others so that their lives are better. See, Jesus was clear. How do we find our life? We first find our life by losing our life for the sake of the gospel. Let me play this out just for a moment before we get to habits. There are a number of reasons why you and I might want to develop the habit of reading the Bible first thing in the morning. There's a number of reasons. Here are some reasons that I think have the wrong goal in mind. I just want to appear spiritual in front of other people. Uh, I, I want to get a lift for my day so that I personally only feel inspired. Or how about I just want to avoid feeling guilty that I haven't done it. See, on the outside, 
That person is still in the word, but inside their self-control is not motivated by a love for God and people. Here are some gospel-centered Matthew 22 reasons to spend time in the word each day, to learn more about the God who loved me and saved me so that I can worship him and praise and serve him more fully. Oh. Uh, Spending time in the Word every day, I want to be equipped in case God brings someone across my path who needs to hear a word from the Scripture, and praise God, I have one. Or to be ready to disciple my kids someday, so that they will see an example in me of someone who loves spending time with God in His Word. See, those are gospel reasons for self-control. Okay. So we've talked about the gift of self-control. we talked about this temporary substitute. We've talked about the goal, loving God and loving others. Okay, let's get into it. How do we develop self-control in our lives? How do we do this? And right there on your sheet, it's very simple. It's the power of habits. The power of habits. Look at that quote I have for you there. A habit is an action that becomes the pattern for un conscious behavior. So a habit is an action that becomes the pattern for unconscious behavior. I'm going to flesh this out. But friends, what you have to realize is this. God has designed us to be habit-forming and habit-keeping people. And therefore, you can break bad habits and you can form good ones. In fact, this is a wonderful season of life for you to do that. Look at that quote I have for you. It's the other one by by Tim Challies. It's it's a little bit longer, but we all want to have the habit of enjoying long quotes, so let's start. Here it is. Challies writes, We are creatures of habit. I have to assume that God designed us this way. He designed us so that we form neurological pathways that condition us to do certain things in a kind of routine. When a habit emerges, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. It stops working so hard or diverts focus to other tasks. So unless you deliberately fight a habit, unless you find new routines, the pattern will unfold automatically. Just stop for a minute. Do you see how that's true in your life? When something becomes a pattern, you all of a sudden don't have to think much about it. It doesn't take the energy because it's part of your life, which is why it's hard to break a bad pattern and a bad habit because it's a routine in your life. Continue on the quote. Habits allow behavior to unfold automatically without thinking so that once we set them in motion, they unfold along established pathway. The problem is that your brain can't tell the difference between bad and good habits. So if you have a bad one, it's always lurking there, waiting for the right cues and rewards. Both virtue and vice can be packaged within habits, so that to some degree, both positive and negative actions can be done on a near subconscious level. This is why we teach ourselves to form habits, like reading the Bible at the very beginning of the day, or to have family worship immediately after dinner. Once the habit is established, we will obey its summons to do those things that are so important to our lives. And this is why we have such trouble battling those long-established habits of sin. See, once the habit is established, we will 
battle to disobey its summons to do those things that are so destructive. It seems like it should be so easy to stop looking at pornography, to stop drinking to excess, or to stop gorging ourselves on food, but our habits drive and conjole us into old patterns. I just feel like that's a helpful quote. It helps us to understand why do we do what we do, and why is it so hard to to undo what we do. Friends, habits, good habits, are a gift from God to us as his children. And it is impelled by the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Bad habits can ruin us. But godly habits can bless us and others. I know in my life, and this is because of the grace of God and the work of his spirit, in my life, God has enabled me to form good habits. Here's a few. If I don't go to church on Sunday, I feel at a loss. I don't know what to do. So when there's a snow day, I'm like, well, this sucks. Because I go to church. Like, I just go. It's just not even a question anymore. I just go. Habits are why I wake up every morning between 5 and 5.05 a.m. I set my alarm for 5.15, but I never need it. Because years ago, I realized I can get so much done before the sun is up. So I began to set my alarm. And now, even this morning, I thought, I'm going to sleep in a little bit. I'm going to go to 6. But my body said, sorry, buddy, you got a habit. Get out of bed. And it was 5.07. (laughs) Habits are why I go to the gym every morning at 5.45 a.m. Every morning, and I stay on the elliptical for 30 minutes. When I first started to do it, ugh, you know that sound. But now after years of doing it, I remember the, the, the other day, I just had a bad headache getting up, and Chen's like, you need to go to the gym. And I'm like, oh, like, I just feel like the morning will be weird if I don't go to the gym, but I'm just not up for it today. Habits are why I take notes on every talk or sermon that I hear, and I keep them all. I just started doing that. So Dave's giving his talk today, right, writing all my notes, even though I heard the talk a couple of weeks ago. I can't sit and listen to God's word and not write things down. And nowadays, by God's grace, I'll give you an example in a minute, godly habits by the Holy Spirit are why I spend time every morning in the word of God. That has not been true for most of my life. That is a hard-fought habit. I want to be clear about two things. God gets all the credit, for sure. And he used the gifts of habits to instill self-control in these areas in my life. Friends, habits are wonderful. They are hard to establish, but once they are established, they will become a source of good and blessing in your life. Friends, we all know how hard it is to break a bad habit. We all know. Getting up early, not looking at that stuff online, doing your homework when it's a sign, using weekends well, not throwing your laundry over the, all over the floor, and not eating all the Dots pretzels. <laughs> we know how hard it is, but by 
the power of God and the work of his spirit, you can break bad habits and establish good ones. How do habits form? Look at that little um, uh, what diagram I have there. That is such a helpful diagram. This is how habits form in your life. This is where it gets very practical. The first thing that happens is there is a cue. You see that at the top, a cue. Then you go to the right, there's a routine, and then there's a reward. This is how habits form. So a cue is an, a trigger, or like an external signal that tells your brain to go into automatic mode. That's the cue. The routine is the behavior that you form, and then the reward is the payoff that reinforces that behavior. I'll give you an example in a minute, but that's the principle. The more ingrained that this sequence becomes in your life, the more powerful and established your habits will become. Let me give you two examples from my life. So I I preach almost every week at our church, which is why I don't like to miss church. So I preach every week. But I, I realized a number of years ago that it really serves our worship team if I can get the outline for the passage to them Monday morning for the next Sunday. Now, I don't know if any of our staff are like this, I love giving talks. I hate writing talks. And coming up with an outline is like giving birth. I just don't like it. But I knew I had to do that on Monday morning. So this is a little thing I said to myself. Because I love a hot shower in the morning. Anyone like that? Hot shower. So what I said is this. Fodale, you get your butt down there. You cannot have a hot shower until you're done with the outline. I don't know about you. Those fighting words. Those are fighting words. <laughs> so what I did, I just you could ask Shadid, but she's here later on. You could ask her. What I did is I would go downstairs with that cup of coffee. I'm still dressed in my, you know, my, my not my thing, and I haven't had a shower, and I'm like, I'm gonna work on the outline. And I tell you, the first few months of doing it, I'm like, this stinks. I, just, I will be so much more fresh after the shower. <laughs> then I remembered. I want to be a man who knows how to do the hard thing first. So I just kept after it. And now, this is years ago, and nowadays, it is no problem. No problem. I, in fact, I look forward to Monday mornings. I have my pattern. I go down. I'll be there this coming Monday morning, writing the sermon for next Sunday. I have my cup of coffee. Shower now. Doesn't matter. Like, it's ingrained now. It's a pattern. It is a habit. Here's one other example. So as I mentioned before, it's only recently that I've begun reading the Bible every day. That was always really hard for me. So in our house, Rebecca, you know, that's our our daughter, we we have a sunroom, and I have, you know, my chair. I don't know if you all have your chair. I have my chair, okay? So and when I go down on the first one up in the morning, because it's 5 a.m., I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And on the on the arm of my chair was always my iPad. It's my iPad. It's my family. I'll introduce you to them later. But anyway, on my iPad. And then, so I'm sitting in the chair. Night before I put things down, this is on the arm of the chair, and my Bible is over here on the table. So I come with my cup of coffee, and every morning, because I love reading the Wall Street Journal online. I just like to hear what's in the world and everything. So I would go on my app, I read the Wall Street Journal, and they're like, oh, it's time for the gym. Stink. I didn't read the Bible yet. I'll do it when I get home. You ever do that? What happens when you get home? I'm not doing it. I mean, this happened for years. And then I'm working on this talk over the summer, reading through a book, and I'm like, oh, 
So this is what I did. You're going to think I'm brilliant. On the arm of my chair, I put my iPad down, and guess what I put on top of it? Ha! Huh, the Bible. <laughs> and I said to myself, you can't touch that iPad until you read the Bible. So every morning now, read my Bible. Now, first couple days, I'm like, oh, I'm coming to you, baby. I'm coming. <laughs> but I read it. I read it. And, you know, and I know intellectually the Bible's born, but, like, I, I don't need a theological lesson. It was just hard to have the pattern. I hadn't developed the habit. And so I said, you cannot read the uh, Wall Street Journal until you're done with the Bible. And I tell you, it's been four and a half weeks right now. God gets all the credit. I've been reading the Bible every morning. It's because Q. Here's the Q. I see the Bible. Here's the routine. Read the Bible. Here's the reward. Ta-da! I get to look at the Wall Street Journal online. That's how it works in my life. And friends, that's how it can work in your life. Habits don't just appear. They don't just happen. You have to think through, what do I want to do? What can be a good cue for some people? It's setting an alarm that usually doesn't, isn't the most helpful. Then getting into routine and rewarding yourself. Have a couple thoughts there. So how do we form habits? Friends, one at a time. One at a time. You know, the problem with New Year's resolutions is, I'm going to change my life this year. Don't change your life this year. Change one thing. Since habits are hard and they take an initial burst of willpower and then discipline, we usually can only do them one at a time. And if you're wondering in your life, how could I form a good habit about something? I'd be willing to talk. I mean, we're here till Sunday. If you're not sure what to do about it, just talk to me. I'd love to talk it through with you. So one at a time, swap and start small. In other words, take something out and then put something in. Just don't add something to your life. Swap it out. So now, before I eat those pretzels, I have to have a little bowl of baby carrots. <sighs> but it fills me up. So there's this swapping going on. Next thing is this. Invest the time. Invest the time. Studies show that it takes 40 to 60 days to develop a habit. That's a long time which is why willpower usually lasts two to three days. It's not enough to get you there. 40 to 60 days. This is where accountability will go into play. So if you're trying to form a good habit and you think, this is going to be so hard, it will be hard. But only for 40 or 60 days, you're probably going to live for 40 or 60 years. So in other words, bear the cost now because your future self will thank you. And finally, don't lose heart. You're in step with the Spirit. The Spirit wants you to have self-control in your life so you can more fully love God and love other people. Okay, I'm just about out of time. I have, I have a way that you could start a habit. So I bought you all a book. Here's the book. The book is called Addictive Habits, Changing for Good. It's a 31-day devotional. So it's very short. I actually read the first, first devotional, and it took two and a half minutes. That's not bad. Now, 
in the front of this book, for each one, I have my email address. So this is what I'd like to say to you. Take the book and develop the habit of reading a chapter every day. And if you are able to do that by the middle of November, just email me. Email me. And what I will do, here's your reward, is that if you come to focus, I will have for you... No, this is too expensive. Okay. (laughs) I will have for you a bag of Dots pretzels. So what's the cue? The cue is you see the book. What's the routine? Open the book and invest two and a half minutes. What's the reward? Baby, Dots is coming. (laughs) Dots is coming. That's just a small picture of how you can begin to break bad habits and form good ones. I would love to talk to you about this more. Any of our other staff as well. I need to close and get you guys to lunch. But thank you for being here. And may your future self thank you. Let me pray. God, thanks for your spirit. Enable that spirit to develop within us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Enable us, Father, to form good habits so that we can love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.